sometimes we don't like our family members, but it's about loving them. It's about making sure that we give that gift. But it's also, as an adult child, about being on the receiving end of allowing someone to give you that gift. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and influential guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and Zestful Ager. And if you like this podcast, you'll love my companion course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You'll have access to what I've learned from being a psychotherapist for 30 years and the latest research on what habits really matter and contribute to vibrant aging. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. Last week, we spoke with Lisa Russell, who's an Emmy Award-winning filmmaker and artist who travels the world, capturing the dignity of those going through immense challenges. She says she wants to be the filmmaker on the ground rather than hanging with the celebrity types. And she has been involved with the United Nations for many years and is doing some wonderful work around global warming. And next week, we're speaking with Liz Vassie, a two-time Emmy-nominated actor who joined the cast of All My Children at the age of 16. And she's since appeared on 12 television shows, including CSI, ER, and Two and a Half Men. We're talking to her about her directorial debut, The Human Race, which she focuses on how to maintain and even increase our health as we age, particularly through running. And she features a zestful aging guest, Catherine Switzer, who you may remember is the first official woman to run the Boston Marathon. It's a great film and a really interesting interview. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky beside me, my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Today we're speaking with Dr. Judy Butler, who is a certified pastoral psychotherapist in private practice, who consults with counsels and coaches adult children of aging parents, members of the sandwich generation, caregivers, and senior adults interested in second half and end of life planning. Her passion for working with senior adults and their adult children and caregivers grew out of her own experience as a caregiver for her parents, congregational pastor for senior adults, and a hospital chaplain for many years. After personally enduring the trauma, stress, and frustration of dealing with the healthcare and nursing home system, she created the Guardian's Gift in memory of her father, Harvey Hill, who died in December of 2018. Welcome to the show, Judy. Thank you for having me, Nicole. I'm glad to be here. You've told me that your own crises really led you into this work. Can you fill us in on the story? Oh, yes. 
You know, looking after parents when they're declining is something that so many people in this country are familiar with. There are 43 million um, caregivers just in the United States alone, and so there's a lot more than that around the world. And one of the things that I think we've, um, as caregivers, all enjoy is just the fact that we get to be with our parents in a different way. Now, as a therapist, I know that not all people enjoy that. So uh, let me sidestep that for, for a second. But I enjoyed being with my parents, but watching them decline is, is just so traumatic. Just you lose them a little bit each day. My father had dementia, and there's lots of different levels of dementia. Uh, a lot of people say, well, is Alzheimer's dementia? And it, and it is. Dementia is a huge umbrella under which there are various uh, vascular, Lewy body, Alzheimer's. Those are all different types. But watching my father decline, and I was a daddy's girl, it was very, very difficult. So I lost him a little bit each day, a little bit along the way. So by the time we got to a point where we had to make some decisions about his care, because he was unable to take care of things like feeding himself or going to the bathroom or getting up and down, he needed assistance in every way. And my mother was getting to a point where it was wearing her out. So it was taking a lot. It takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a couple of villages to take care of a senior adult. Mm -hmm. So um, eventually he ended up in a nursing home, uh, which is a horror story in itself. But it was a process of trying to figure out how to maintain their assets so that my mother would have enough assets to care for her as she continues on into her aging process. And through that process of seeking legal counsel and financial advice and all of the different pieces and parts, and also drawing on my experience as a pastor for senior adults as well as a chaplain in the hospital, I just ran into it so often that people are just unprepared. They don't have the conversations that are necessary mm -hmm. to understand where they are. They, they end up in a crisis situation. They're in the middle of the crisis, and they're screaming. They're like, what do I do? How do where do I go? What and they're exhausted because they're taking care of their loved one, and there are all these logistics to take care of. That's right. They don't really have time to actually grieve and be sad or rejoice when there's a moment of joy because they're so exhausted from running around trying to take care of the physical and the practicality of everyday life and living. Mm -hmm. And they may have still children at home, and they may be having a lot of career demands. A lot of these caregivers are adult children. They are working. They are parents. They are grandparents. I have grandchildren. So um, there's time you get torn between do I go take care of my parents? Do I go take care of my grandchildren, enjoy being with them? I call it, I feel like I'm the ham in the ham sandwich sometimes, <laughs> um, where sometimes I'm a squeal of delight being with my grandkids. And sometimes it's just an oink of getting through a day. Mm -hmm. I see. And so you really experienced that. Had you been working with people on these issues before your own crisis? 
I had, but at a very limited level as a pastor um, in a congregational situation. I worked with lots of senior adults. That was my primary responsibility, and I enjoyed that so much. But part of that responsibility was helping uh, the senior adults plan their end-of-life service, as well as helping them with their adult children to have the conversation. What I encountered a lot was parents would say to me, senior adults would say, I want to talk about my funeral. I want to talk about my end of life, but my kids don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the kids would say, you know, we need to really have this conversation with mom or dad, and they don't want to talk about it. So guess what? Nobody wants to talk about death and dying. It's Do not you, a fun topic. It's not a fun topic. Do you think that's starting to change? I would hope so, but I don't think so. There's a lot of um, information. There's a lot of websites. There are a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of webinars. There's a lot of information out in the community these days. But if you're a caregiver, you're in the middle of taking care of somebody. You don't have time to access all that mm-hmm. stuff. So how would you generally counsel your your folks, your well, congregants? Basically, I would actually make the call either to the senior adult or to the adult ch- child or children, and I'd say, can we have a conversation? Can we just sit down and talk about this? And, of course, people were very receptive to that. It's like, well, okay, I guess so, sure, why not? (laughs) So once somebody, I guess maybe an outsider, a pastor or a therapist or a counselor or a consultant, makes the call and says, you know, I'll kind of mediate this for you. Let me me sit down with you and break the ice. It does, it does. Mm -hmm. You know, the parents and the kids have a really hard time. They're not real sure where to begin. They don't know whether they should begin with, a financial piece. Well, mom, dad, do you have enough money? But one of the big things is typically um, the car keys. That's usually a big thing, particularly with those people who have uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. They're, the kids have already noticed. They've already they already know there's something going on with mom or dad, mm-hmm. and yet they avoid or they deny. They all, well, they just maybe they're having a bad day or. Maybe their vision is off a little bit. Well, no, if mom or dad is lost somewhere that they have been going to for years, then maybe they really do have an issue that needs to be addressed. Hi, Zestful Agers. I'll be attending the International Federation of Aging's 15th Global Conference on Aging in November of 2020. And if you're interested in improving your understanding of age-friendly environments, debating solutions to address inequalities, confronting the reality of ageism, and delving into what it means to enable the functional ability of an older person, head over to ifa2020.org to find out more. There's an early bird special on until the end of the year, so take advantage and join me in Niagara Falls. I'll see you there. Why do you think it is so difficult for most of us to imagine our own deaths? I think 
that gets into a really deep spiritual um, question for me. As a pastor, I think people have, particularly in the Western world, have um, embraced the Enlightenment so hard. They have taken that into their hearts so much. There has to be scientific reasons or um, answers to what it means to be dead. We look at neuroscience these days and talk about neuroplasticity and all of those things about the brain. But ultimately, there's a question that we can't answer. And it's what happens when we die. And that's the great unknown. That's the great fear that you know haunts most people. So I, I think see. we avoid talking about it because it's something we can't answer. I see. So there, there's some fear there because we can't figure it out in a lab or through some kind of testing or observation. We just still really don't know. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people say they believe in God, but then when they get to that point um, where there's imminence in death, either for someone they love or even for themselves, fear usually shows up in a very profound way. And so that's when it's super important that they've had these conversations so they can surround themselves with those people that they love and that love them. How do you handle that um, when you're seeing someone you're taking care of or consulting on is starting to become very fearful? When I work with people, we typically address this situation early. We talk about what it's going to be like getting to the end, and we talk about what their belief system is. And it's amazing to me um, how many people are not sure, even to the very end, what they believe. Mm -hmm. So we work through some things that they've either learned as children that they don't believe anymore, and they're afraid not to believe it. Mm -hmm. And so I am just open my heart and open a space for them to have that conversation as well about what does it mean to not believe the things that you learned as a child, or maybe to have expanded on those things, and how does that look different now as an adult or an aging adult or a senior? Where do I go? What's going to happen to me? Is there a spirit? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there a nirvana? Is there, you know, what, what is that place or what is that being like once I'm gone? And what's going to happen to my family that's left here? Mm -hmm. These are the most profound questions you can ask someone. They are, but surprisingly, um, and as a pastor, I can say this, churches have not done a really great job of helping people struggle with that. They typically want to tell them what it is, what the answer is. They say, well, this is how it will be. And I think every person has to actually struggle with that themselves. Mm. We all make that journey as individuals, even though there's a corporate spirit around the world, I think we still always make that journey on our own. So we need to be able to struggle with that. And most people have difficulty talking about it with other folks. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. Mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. because some people get into an argumentative place rather than allowing space for everybody to have their own thoughts and to actually voice the questions out loud. 
Has your sense of what happens changed since you've worked so intensively with the dying? It has. I've seen so many holy, what I consider holy moments, standing at the bedside of someone who's passing and being with them and being with their family. And there's some things that happen that there is no explanation for, not in this world. Give, would you give an example? Well, something very simple I think all the listeners can relate to is um, a lot of times when someone's going to pass, they, I believe they know that, and they will wait if there's a person that's not in the room with them that's really important to them that they be there. I've seen people linger and wait for that person to show up, maybe coming from halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. But also, the other side of that is true as well. I've seen people who would prefer to be alone in those moments, and they actually wait until everybody's out of the room. Uh-huh. The doctor will come in and say, well, it's going to be a while. Y'all go ahead down and get something uh-huh. to eat or go uh-huh. take a break. And soon they as take everybody, that opportunity. Yeah, as soon as everybody's out of the room, they pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's some intentionality about it, some choice, it sounds like. I think so. Even in situations, because um, my first career was in working in the hospital as a laboratorian. And so I've, I've been in and out of hospitals, you know, all of my life working. And so I've also seen in some situations where there have been um, a wreck or a traumatic event where there have been people who by all rights, should should have died, and they, they're they not. They're not dead. Mm-hmm. Now, some people say, well, they have to live with uh, injuries or the trauma. Well, they do, but I truly believe there's still an individual choice that people get to make in those moments. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Talk a little bit about the guardian's gift that you've developed The guardian's gift is a very comprehensive and unique way of working with families around death and dying, end of life, second half of life. It's set up in such a situation that people can actually have the conversation. That's the key, is the conversation. It's about telling, not only telling, what it is you want to happen. What do you want to happen at the end of your life? Do you want to be maintained in case there's a breakthrough in science? Or do you want to go ahead and pass? And so what happens is we have the conversation, and I can actually hold the space for someone, an adult, a senior adult, to say to their loved ones what it is they want to happen. And also hold that space for the adult children and the family members to be able to hear that. Because that is huge emotion. Lots of unsettled, unanswered questions mm-hmm. that just carry this, this fear, this anxiety, this sadness all around it. So I hold that space for them to actually talk about it. And I can actually ask the questions that they're afraid to ask or mm-hmm. that they want to explain the answers to. So we look at all those pieces. We look at What's going on with someone? Do they have a cancer diagnosis? Do they have dementia diagnosis? Maybe they have heart problems. And I ask, you know, 
what's that look like going forward? What's going to happen to you physically and mentally, do you think? What does the doctor say? Mm -hmm. What does society say? What do you say? So we talk about all that. And then the kids, the adult children, are able to hear what's going on. We talk about, well, okay, if you have dementia, like my dad, and he wasn't able to take care of his, what they call ADLs, activities of daily living, his Mm -hmm. toileting and feeding and dressing, if you can't take care of that, how are you going to afford to look at that later. How are you going to pay someone? Are you going to be able to afford a nursing home? So we look at their financial situation. Do you have long-term care insurance? And by the way, all of you listening to this, if you don't have long-term care insurance, please get some. Mm -hmm. Um, We look at their important documents. I look at that and I say, people tell me all the time, oh, I have a will. So we Mm -hmm. sit down and we look at their will. And They read it, and I say, well, this is what it says to me. This is what it says. And they go, well, that's not what I mean. Mm. So I'm like, well, maybe you need to change it. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a financial advisor. But I can look at something and read it and talk with them about it. Is this what you want to happen? Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times people will create a will early in life when they have small children, and they never change it. Mm -hmm. So those are things that need to be done. And by the way, August is Make-A-Will Month. Um, and then finally, the emotional support. It's This is all family therapy. This is all therapy for grief, grieving, because there is a lot of grieving that's involved in this process. But it's also about setting up the end-of-life service. What do you want? Do you want somebody to sing? Do you want people to cry? Do you want them to have a party? Do you want them to, if you're a guy, do you want them to stick a cigar in your mouth and stand you in the corner? Uh, it's about what do you want to happen and how will that affect, you know, your family? And then the family gets to speak up and they go, well, gosh, that's, we don't want that. That's, ugh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we have that conversation too. Mm. So you have a system that you've developed to kind of go through each of these facets. Yes. Mm-hmm. At the end of the process, I've pulled together documents. I've pulled together their health care power of attorney, their power of attorney. Mm-hmm. I get copies of the deeds to their properties, um, their will. I look at all their financials. I put everything in this beautiful, exquisite, leather-bound binder. Mm-hmm. And that is a gift that we give to the family so that when the time comes, Everything is all in one place. Mm-hmm. It's all compiled. Everything is documented. Mm-hmm. You know, parents say all the time, well, I told my kids what I wanted. And I'm like, do you really expect your kids to remember mm-hmm. what you said when they're sad, they're crying, they're grieving, they're trying to make some decisions? Mm-hmm. And people don't make the best decisions when they're in that emotional state. That's right. That's right. So it's really a gift that you're giving your caretakers. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is the most, it's the last most beautiful gift you can give to somebody mm-hmm. is to have all this set up and pre-planned. Mm-hmm. And how do you take care of yourself, Judy? Because this is really intense work. It is very intense. Um, I just spent the weekend with my husband, and we went away and just, uh, you know, we're away from everything and everybody. We had a wonderful time. I like to 
uh, work out and go exercise. I love being in nature. Nature is one of the most spiritual places there is for me. Mm-hmm. So just being outside, gardening, working around in my yard, and playing with my grandkids. So sort of uh, detaching from some of these deep, profound, existential questions, just sort of pulling weeds, and it sounds like uh, really appreciating the experience of being with your grandchildren in that moment. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, for me, every all of it's spiritual. Everything, every you know, the pulling of the weeds, the being with the grand, all of it is mm-hmm. holy moments. And it's just mm-hmm. about being appreciative of life, being appreciative of where I am and what I have and, you know, just simple things. And where can people reach you, Judy, to find out more about the Guardian's gift and, and this work that you do? Um, I have a website, and it's Butler, B-U-T-L-A-R, Counseling Solutions dot okay. com. Okay. And um, under the services tab, there is the Guardian's Gift. Mm-hmm. They could also send me an email at Judy mm-hmm. at Butler Counseling Solutions dot com. Okay. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and and getting a sense anyway of the kind of important work you do and i'm sure it's it's deeply appreciated by people who are going through this grieving process and and feeling perhaps really lost and afraid and it sounds like you bring this kind of loving gentle structure in that they can lean on you know love is really the key of everything and it's all about love. It's about loving not only who we are, but where we are in life and what we have. But it's about making sure that we extend that love to other people. Mm-hmm. It's about extending it to our family members. Sometimes we don't like our family members, but it's about loving them. It's about making sure that we give that gift. But it's also, as an adult child, about being on the receiving end of allowing someone to give you that gift. That's almost as difficult as as setting this up, is being able to receive it on the other end. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for speaking with us. I think our our listeners are going to really appreciate your words of wisdom. Well, I certainly hope so. If they don't do anything else, please, please have conversation with your family members and have somebody write it down. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. In this phase of our lives, we're more aware that our time is precious, and we certainly don't want to waste it taking care of stuff that we no longer need, left over from a life that we are no longer living. We know we would feel better with less clutter and more open space, but we don't know how to get there. 
If this sounds familiar, I'd love you to check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. This course is different than others you may have tried because we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and tools to help you face the overwhelm and feelings that come up when you're going through your clutter. It's practical and realistic, and the lessons are short and punchy and very manageable, but it has the power to change your life. We all deserve to live in a peaceful home without the chaos of too much stuff. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. And next week, we're speaking with Liz Vassie, a two-time Emmy-nominated actor who joined the cast of All My Children at the age of 16. And she's since appeared on 12 television shows, including CSI, ER, and Two and a Half Men. We're talking to her about her directorial debut, The Human Race, which she focuses on how to maintain and even increase our health as we age, particularly through running and she features a zestful aging guest, Catherine Switzer, who you may remember is the first official woman to run the Boston Marathon. It's a great film and a really interesting interview. See you then. <laughs>